Thank you for listening to the following films podcast. Today I'm joined by Anthony Rapp and Vivian Kerr. I had them on the show to discuss their collaboration on the new film Scrap. Vivian wrote, directed, and co-starred in the film alongside Anthony, and the film will have its premiere at this year's Cinejoy Film Festival on Wednesday, March 1st at 6.50 p.m. Mountain Time. Big thanks to Bookmans for sponsoring this episode, and thanks to Fort Worth for letting us use their song at the end. If you'd like to connect with the show, the best place to find us online is at followingfilms.com or on Twitter by following at followingfilms. Please leave us a review and follow the show on Spotify. I can't tell you how much that helps the show. You can also support us by going to anchor.fm slash followingfilms slash support. For more information about the screening of Scrap, go to the link in the show notes. It's kind of a longer link. I'd go through it right now, but I doubt that by the time I said everything, you would actually write all that down. So just go to the show notes. You're listening to the show. Click on the link. Make sure you check it out this Wednesday. It's a great film and hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks. Got it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like I guess it's li- the literal uh, permission on here, but I guess <laughs> as well, something like a legal yeah. permission. So, but thank you both so much for taking the time to do this today. I really appreciate it. Um, no, thank, thank you. you. I, I just got to say right out of the bat, there's a lot of films that I see that kind of have something you can lean into, be it, a thematic angle to it that just kind of will carry its weight a little bit further than other films will be something just a hook that'll carry it through and really it's the relationship between the two of you that makes this thing work if your chemistry isn't there it this doesn't work at all the brother and sister roles aren't cast properly i think this movie could not stand up and goddamn if this thing doesn't work so you i think how how long have you known each other how did this come about working on this together I mean, what, I mean, what's funny is like we just met on the sh- we did a short version of this, uh, and we met for like one day on this on the short, and then uh, I went away and was like, I'm right, you know, definitely I'm going to write the full feature, and I was like, and Anthony has to play Ben, like in my mind, I was like, he has to play Ben, <laughs> because I just felt like it was so we had the perfect dynamic, I think, um, you know, it just it just felt right, I felt like. I just immediately, like the first time we did a scene together, I was like, I completely buy this. Like, I fully feel like he's my older brother. Um, and I felt like we had this like fun dynamic. And so I, so I wrote the picture with him in mind and, oh, you know, finished a draft and we sent it to him and hope I was hoping he would like it enough to want to do it. And thank God he did. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about Anthony from your perspective, as far as that, that chemistry because I honestly would have thought that you'd known each other. I was looking through credits trying to figure this out and I assumed there had been 10, 15, 20 year history between the two of you and just wasn't there. That's really cool to hear. I mean, I don't know. It's like I, I had a wonderful acting teacher for years who t- I don't know if this is going to sound too like technical, but the the your system, like your being, it doesn't know it's acting. If it's engaged, if you like plug your system into the right machinery and it works, then it just sort of happens. And I feel like that's the kind of thing that happened between us. Uh, it's just that chemistry, you can't, you can't work too hard on it. You can't make it up. It either happens or it doesn't. And it did. Um, so yeah, it's one of those mysterious things, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, we didn't even talk at length about it. I was just, you know, when I got the original script for the short, I just thought it rang true. It was compelling. 
it worked out in my schedule that I could do it. I love working on independent films. It's one of my favorite things that I get to do as an actor, truly. Um, so I've done like tiny, tiny micro budget films. I've done, you know, big Hollywood movies yeah. too, but I, you know, my favorite thing in terms of film work has been these smaller budget films. And so when it then did come back around and then the script was so strong, yeah, I wanted to make it happen. I was really honored and grateful that Vivian did want me back. Like all those things. I don't take anything for granted. You know, I've been, I've been in this business for too damn long to know, <laughs> I know better. And so when, you know, loyalty is really important to me. Um, it's very, it's important, but it's also meaningful. I understand it's, it's, you have to earn it. And so anyways, all of those things, it's just sort of like, yeah, you, we, we, we jived, I guess, like in the right way. I don't know. And I'm, well, I'm just feel very lucky for that. This is a, a special little movie. Like, like you were saying, the material side of this, you don't see a lot of films like this that come around. There's um, with, obviously I don't want to explain what the ending is, but the ending, I could feel it about a quarter of the way through you could feel where this is heading to and the question becomes is this film actually going to earn that inevitable ending when it gets there is it going to actually earn it and you do earn that ending and a lot of films that are of this ilk they fall flat on their face because they get there and it comes across as too sentimental it's not um it just it's saccharine and there's something that feel and i think that's a lot vivian in how flawed you allow this character to be because how real she is and both and with ben as well these are both flawed people they're good people in their hearts but you allow them to have ugly moments which every single fucking one of us has those moments so thank you for that yeah one of the films that really inspired me was you can count on me i've yeah. always just really loved that film and i think um the brother sister relationship in that film similarly they're you know they're kind of both messed up in their own way and they kind and then over the course of the film they sort of heal each other a little bit and I think that's what's going on what I tried to do here you know with Ben and Beth like they're both kind of stuck on a track that isn't quite working and they need each other you know they really they need each other to kind of kick kick <laughs> kick each other in the right direction um yeah and so hopefully over the course of the film it's like you know it's um it's it's a small kick right like it's this you know they're not like radically radically changing their lives but it's impactful it's very meaningful Oh, absolutely. And there's a moment that I just have to call out that speaks to that, I think, where there's the two of you with um, your child are looking on at the childhood home. And it's all you're not there's no voiceover. It's just them looking at this space. And I think to me, that beautifully encapsulates the entire film in that one moment. And it's building off that. And I think the really powerful moments in this film that really resonate with me you're not explaining them. You're letting the audience do the lifting there. And um, Anthony, I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that as far as the doing that kind of work where you're not leaning into dialogue and you're just having to sell that with your face because I could see the whole history of these two characters in that one moment. That's cool. I mean, I, be another, I just, it, it didn't mean anything. It was just a bullshit throwaway. Nobody. No, <laughs> no. I mean, I, I just, I'm just, I'm just drawn to material that doesn't signpost. I mean, that's yeah. just what I'm, I'm just allergic to to heavy handedness and signposting. And when people try to be too clever and all that stuff, it just makes me like itch. Um, so yeah, when, when it's in the script, like, I don't remember exactly how it was described, but yeah, we drive up, you know, to even the part of what that story, part of what that moment also tells is it's been a while since they've been there yeah. again, without saying it explicitly. So you get all this information. And so knowing that we just walk, I don't know. It's just, when it's when it's there, it's very richly there. All there is to do is just be, 
in that moment um, and to trust, to let that, to, to that Vivian as a writer and as a director trusts that um, is everything. Uh, and that's the kind of work that I love when I watch it as an audience member, when I read a book, when I watch a play, when I watch a movie, that's what I want. I don't want somebody like holding up a big sign and, you know, telling me how to feel. No, absolutely. And could, Vivian, can you talk a little bit about that, having that faith in your audience and not necessarily I mean, putting up their signposts? There has to be a temptation to do that sometimes, I assume. I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe, um, I, you know, to me, it's like, I'm sure maybe someone watches the film and they find moments sort of signposty. Um, but I think, you know, you're tr- you're trying to write something that is as nuanced as you're trying to give as much reality to it, you know, as much of your experience. Um as much nuance as you can. And so, yeah, that moment is really, I think, really powerful. I mean, it really is this moment where they realize like that, I mean, Ben's a writer, you know, and and so now this like house that they grew up in is like, is almost like something fictional now. Like it only exists in their shared memory. Like it's, it's not real anymore. Um, You know, it's as real as his, you know, fantasy world. So it's, it's the two of them. I think after that moment, they they realize like how much they need each other. Um, I mean, they still have they still have a ways to go <laughs> to get there, but I think they kind of, at least for Beth, I think realizes like that she, you know, how important he is to her, and um, that they now share this thing that they can't really even pass on to, to Birdie, or you know, that it's like only between them now, their memories of their parents in that house. Well, and that and that's the part that with Birdie standing right there, it's the is Birdie sort of doomed to the same fate here? Will Birdie be, will Birdie have the same, will she have no one to lean on in the way that you had each other? Will you provide a world that she doesn't need that other person there for her? And it's just this whole, all these question marks that are brought up in that instead of statements, which I really do appreciate specifically about that moment, because it is something that you're kind of left to contemplate what their future holds. And you know, from that moment forward, I start thinking of Ben as a far more broken individual than I've seen throughout the film. You can see it's it just, he presents well, but he is yeah. just as flawed and screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> so, but he has a better way of hiding it because he's always helping everyone. He's the hero. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's and, so many people who are like that, right. Who, who, who uh, are the go-to people, the one, the caretakers, there's so many caretakers who don't know how to take care of themselves or yeah, who have to like the compartmentalization that it can involve. I think Ben is quite um, in the throes of all of that for sure. And so it's like beautiful moment, actually, like right after that scene, there's a scene of us just silently driving in the car. There's this like close up of Anthony, which truly we could have just like in the edit, we could have just let that close up go for like a minute and a half because Anthony was just, you know, staring, driving the car, like staring straight ahead. And there was so much unspoken stuff going on in his, in his face and his thoughts and his memory. And it was so beautiful. Um, Hmm. Obviously we're not just going to have like 90 seconds of just watching Ben (laughs) silently driving the car, but like, you know, even in that. Andy Warhol would have done it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The director's cut will have a lot more of you just staring out of, out of windows. Um, but he's in Anthony's performance was so good in that moment. I really have to shout it out. Thank you. And could you talk a little bit about um, the way that you handled parenthood in this? Cause I'm a dad 
And it's rare that I see a movie that shows parents that are any more than slightly flawed where we, you know, I have screwed up both my kids in different ways. There's a 12 year old (laughs) and a seven year old that I'm sure they'll be dealing with things in therapy for years to come. And, but you course correct and you try to do a better job and you do those things. But I, I feel like most of the time we have a idealistic view of parenting where or or like really over the top like super abusive that gray area yeah absolutely it's one or the other where it's just this misery porn or it's something that's just uh, absurdly mary poppins where i don't get me wrong love that have a great place in my heart for that but it's not reality it's not any yeah. representation of anything i've ever seen and so you allow this mother to be I'm not a great mom at times. And I know there's been times when I've been selfish and I haven't said the right things in the right moment and you have instant regret over it. And you just talk a little bit about that because that's dangerous space to get into parents. We're, we're a judgmental crew. Yeah. I mean, I to me, I think, um, today's episode of the following films podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. This week, I went into Bookman's and I was looking for a film, something that reminded me of a film festival, be it a film that got its start in a film festival or something that was perhaps about the experience of going to a film festival. I went over and looked through the 4K discs and the Blu-rays and the DVDs. Nothing was really jumping out immediately. So I went over to the box set section and I came across Ingmar Bergman's Cinema. If you're not familiar, Bergman was a master storyteller who startled the world with his stark intensity and naked pursuit of the most profound metaphysical and spiritual questions. The struggles of faith and morality, the nature of dreams, and the agonies and ecstasies of human relationships. Bergman explored all of these subjects in films ranging from comedies whose lightness and complexity belie their brooding hearts to groundbreaking formal experiments and excruciatingly intimate explorations of family life. Arranged as a film festival, with opening and closing nights, bookending double features and centerpieces, this selection spans six decades and 39 films, including such celebrated classics as The Seventh Seal, Persona, and Fanny and Alexander, alongside previously unavailable works like Dreams, The Right, and Brink of Life. It's also accompanied by a 248-page book with essays on each film. This particular box set has been something of a white whale for my collection, something I've had my eye on for years, and I've just never felt the need to pull the trigger on it. But then I walked into Bookman's, and there it was. And the price was so incredibly reasonable, I had to pick it up. This is something that... I've been wanting to dive into for a long time because with uh, Bergman's filmography, I have a lot of blind spots and I'm really excited to dive in and um, learn more about his work because every time I've gone and watched one of his films, I'm always struck by how his work has been so influential that you can go back and look at these films and you'll see images or themes or just these kind of ideas that he brings up or that he executes in a way that have had just this profound impact on filmmaking. And you start to see, I guess, what feel like tropes later on, but this is the source. This is where they came from. And it's just really fun to go back and uh, dive into this work. And so I'm really excited to start going and seeing some of these films that I've never seen before. And so 
was able to get this at Bookman's. And you should go to Bookman's too and see what you might uncover. Remember, Bookman's has your cool covered. Enjoy the show. You know, Beth is is very sort of traditionally unsympathetic, especially in the beginning of the movie. And when we were editing it and sending it out for notes, people were saying like, I really don't like her. But they were like, but then I kind of understood her at the end. We're like, okay, we'll go for that. As long as we can get to understanding. Um, But yeah, I really, I mean, I wanted to lean into sort of the unlikability, unlikability, but- I I, I am far more concerned with compelling than likability. Yeah. Interesting. Me as well. And I think, you know, it is relatable. It's like, um, you know, I, I don't have children, but I, you know, obviously have like a lot of friends who do. And, you know, there's there's an experience that some of them have where it's like sometimes they look at their children like, who's this little alien who's like in my house, like calling me mommy, like so demanding, like, oh, you know, like you, you um, yeah, like it is you shouldn't be ashamed to be like, sometimes I don't like my children <laughs> or I don't know what to do with them. You know, like they they just look at me like I should know all the answers and like I, I want to be like little person. I do not know, <laughs> you know, Um and to me, again, it just feels that's way more true, way more relatable. And also there's a lot of dysfunction going on with um, Ben and Beth in terms of like motherhood, fatherhood, how they feel about it. Because, I mean, I think maybe Anthony less for Ben because he has more memories of the parents. But, you know, yeah. Beth is like really doesn't remember their parents that clearly. So she has no modeling for healthy motherhood, um, like no modeling at all. So she really is just and, and clearly it was an unplanned pregnancy. So she's just kind of winging it. Um, and I think it scares. Yeah. She's just scared. She's scared she's going to screw her up, you know. Yeah. So it's yeah, and like there's the the the. It seems I've always interpreted like on some level she thinks that maybe Birdie would be better without her. Like that that thinking, right? Like so she really cares about Birdie, and she thinks that she's not going to be doing a good enough job. So without being able to fully confront it and really have it out and really have the conversation with Ben, so it's sort of just it just gets sort of like shoved off to the side and Birdie just sort of gets left, all that stuff. But there's, there's also good parenting instincts as part of that, you know, of caring about Birdie's welfare. It just gets tangled up with her own self doubt and self hate, not hatred, but, you know, self immolating thoughts, all that stuff. Well, I think the, the audience is having that conversation as well, that we're all thinking that Birdie clearly should be in this other home. You know, it's impossible not to have those thoughts, but you're never expressing it outright. You're having, we're all having this internal conversation. The film is having it, we're having it, and you never call attention to it. You give us that sort of, uh, you give us that respect that you know that we'll pick up on that. And I really do appreciate that. Um, I'm wondering if you could just talk about a little bit, because I know we're running short on time here, the music in the film and how important that was to you. Because there's, I, you know, honestly, the needle drops in this thing would have been enough for me. I you, you would have gotten a pass. Fortunately, this is a really good movie that I enjoyed, but I had a great time with the soundtrack as well. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, obviously, like the beginning part of the movie is sort of like we're sort of like playing around with that kind of like trope of like Woody Allen, Man- Woody Allen's yeah. Manhattan, right? This like glorious postcard-esque city. But like really as in this film, you know, we're sort of like stripping it bare, right? Like it's not, it's not the dream you thought you were going to have. It's not super dreamy for everyone. And um, 
to me, like the sort of jazz music really evokes that vibe as mm-hmm. well. Um, and we open with Billie Holiday's I Can't Get Started in particular. And that's the song that um, Anthony and I sing in the car because of those lyrics, you know, of like, these are characters who feel incredibly stuck in their in their lives, you know, like the wheels are just turning and like spinning mud, <laughs> like the car is not accelerating. Um, and so that was, you know, really fun, like to, to sort of juxtapose these like every time Beth is like slipping into her delusion, we like crank up this jazz, you know, when she goes to the hotel room with her ex, we're playing. Um, oh, God, no, I've already forgotten the song. Uh, not Avalon. That's what we dance to. Uh, is it yes sir that's my baby yeah yeah i think so yes okay. it's a, it's certainly a bop five foot it's two five foot two yeah. Yeah. uh eyes of blue yeah so we have these sort of like great like 20s 30s um standards that are in all these sort of delusional moments and then when we you know and then when we get to like the roller skating rink where um we have quad city djs um <laughs> which, which i was like i mean there's like four songs that are played in every roller rink and that's one of them, so. for sure um so, yeah, I think it was just sort of like, you know, having this the jazz um, be more associated with kind of like the fantasy as well as the fact that like their parents were jazz musicians, like the connection to um, the records that like Ben has kept. And again, nostalgia for the past, uh, that that era of music just felt really right to me. It really does. There's something that's out of time about this story, as it is anyway, that it feels like this is a movie that would be evergreen 20 years from now. Um, so that it doesn't, while it's very clearly taking place in the now, this is a movie that could have been made 20 years ago very easily um, with the themes you're dealing with. So I think the music definitely plays a part of that. Um, kind of the last thing I had to ask, though, roller skating, how much preparation went into it? Because you you brought it up. So I suck at roller skating. I it, <laughs> The only thing I'm worse at than roller skating is ice skating, possibly. And I'm wondering, yeah. you, you clearly knew what you were doing. But Anthony, did you... Did you have? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I actually used to rollerblade around New York City all the time. Um, roller skating is a little different than rollerblading, but it's similar. But um, the hard part that I had to when I was skating with the little girl, she could not stay on her feet. I was. I there's. It, it's only like this tiny little clip in the film, but we did a lot of takes. I was about to die with like having to support her little even she was tiny and just yeah. supporting her weight and staying upright and not like not killing her that was that was in that was an incredible moment yeah i had sweat streaming down my back from that you're a really anthony's a really good roller roller skater um which was kind of funny because then you were like acting like oh i don't know what i'm doing yeah. you're like really confident um, he never falls over though. So I was wondering yeah. if there was the, it takes somebody that's truly skilled to be able to look that goofy with me, but just been flat on my face. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. That's one of those things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we asked you if you could roller skate. I don't know. I mean, we just assumed, yeah, we were just like, he'll figure it out. <laughs> I'm glad that that was not an issue. I'm, I, he probably, you probably would have said something if you were like, by the way, I can't. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And I haven't roller skated. I think that was the first time I'd been to a roller skating rink in like a decade. But thankfully, it's just like riding a bike where you're like, okay, for like a couple seconds, you're like, wait, what is this? And then you're like, muscle memory kicks in. Yeah. Then you're able to get it down. No, n- n- that never kicked in for me. And I, it's too late. <laughs> I'm 46. It's not going to happen at this point. Understandable. <laughs> no new, no new memories to be made in my <laughs> my muscles at this point. So, <laughs> but thank you both so much for taking the time to do this today. I really do appreciate, appreciate it. it. I really it. Loved the film. I had a great time with it. I mean, this movie was so good 
that Anthony with your history, I didn't even feel the need to bring anything up with, I've been with you since I was a kid. I, you know, we're almost the same age and I've been kind of, we kind of grew up together, uh, several thousand miles apart. And it was, it's always one of my favorite things when somebody does work now that makes me say, Oh, screw it. I don't care. I just want to talk about the one thing they're doing. Oh, that's really cool. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well done, Vivian. You made something that made me uh, not mention all the things. So I'm excited to see what you have next. Great. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It means a lot. No, please. We need more. We need more voices like yours. So I I hope there's another one coming down the pike. There is. Agreed. (laughs) There is. She's making another movie right now, right? Yeah. I'm in in post-production on my second feature. Congratulations. That's fantastic. You. Are, are yeah. you able to talk about it at all? Or is it? Uh, um, I mean, I can just tell you like a little bit. It's, um, yeah. it's a Victorian, it couldn't be more different. It's a Victorian period piece. Uh, it's like I a mean, the natural movie. thing I would have yeah, seen. It's like a psychological thriller. Um, takes place in the 1890s. And uh, yeah, it's um, re- just, I mean, could not be more different. Um, but, you know, has been something I've also been working on for a long time. So it's it's been fun for me to do some to sort of switch and then try something genre. That's been really, really fun. So we'll probably be in post for the next year on it. And hopefully it'll come out sometime next year. Hell yes, absolutely. One the, the best genre films are genre films where the people who are making it understand character. You clearly understand character. So I think this is something that's right in your wheelhouse to me. Oh, it seems like a natural progression. So I'm excited for it. Thank you. I'm excited for it too. It's been, it's, it's been fun to get started on post. Awesome. Well, thank you both again. And thanks Jim for thank setting you. it up. Appreciate it. Thanks guys. Thank thanks Chris. Appreciate Take care. It. Yep. Bye-bye. See you tomorrow. Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down. Wish me luck. Give me hope. 